Hello and welcome to January's Rich Pickings. I'm Richard Edgar and this is Fidelity's award-winning asset allocation podcast. Markets have had their first big spook of the year as the coronavirus shuts down Chinese cities, closes borders and stops operations of businesses around the world. So, what are our investment teams thinking about it? What sort of impact can we expect? And what other clues are there to the health of the global economy at the start of the new year? Listen on to find out more. Here in the London studio, I'm joined by Charlotte Harrington, a portfolio manager in the multi-asset team, Terry Raven, director of equities, and Aneta Vinibgo, portfolio manager who focuses on demographics and the consumer. Welcome to you all. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Now, we seem to be in this never-ending market cycle that to me feels a little bit like a recurring dream. And I want to know, do you have a recurring dream? Um, uh, Terry, why don't you start? Actually, I put myself in the third of the adult population that doesn't have a recurring dream, unfortunately. Sounds um, to me like you've done some research on this. A little, <laughs> a little. But, um, you know, I, I, nothing that really keeps me up in my unconscious state. Uh, and I think the secret to a good night's sleep is um, investing in those companies that you know and understand well and avoiding the ones uh, that you don't. So oh, that, and that's could, my secret to Who a good could argue sleep. with that? Very, very your message. Charlotte, what about you? A recurring dream? Um, I have a few recurring dreams, actually. But one of them, and I think I'm told is quite, quite common, uh, is where you're falling and then you wake up just before you hit the ground. And how do you feel when you wake up? Uh, probably a bit shocked. It's <laughs> only <laughs> totally good. And how about you, Ned? Well, I, I can't think of recurring dreams, but I, I do pay attention to my dreams. I do get investment tips out of them. Seriously? <laughs> well, 10 years ago, and I remember I was an uh, analyst of consumer stocks back then, and, and one stock I've been doing lots of work on was Burberry. And, and that was really at the beginning when Angela Anhart took over the management and there was so much skepticism. The company had way too much inventory and everyone thought it was really going wrong. And, and my initial reaction was also, it's not doing well, the management is refusing to see investors. And then I kept having dreams that it's a, it's, it's a good investment. <laughs> I changed my mind. We bought this stock. We made a lot of money. So since then, I am very attentive to my dreams. <laughs> Fascinating. And it did turn out well. Okay, well, there we are. That's the power of dreams. Thank you very much indeed. But uh, we've also got a bit of a nightmare uh, around at the moment. The big news story at the moment is the coronavirus, which of course is hitting um, uh, China, Chinese markets, Asian markets, and the rest of the world. Um, Charlotte, are you worried? At the moment, I think it's uh, proving quite difficult to make a, a very sort of precise, as it were, estimate on the economic impact. That said, you know, we're in the very early stages of uh, a sort of stabilisation, maybe cyclical recovery, uh, and, and it's clearly going to be a headwind, particularly in, in the emerging markets where it's most prevalent. So happening at a very difficult time. An unfortunate time, just given the, the stage of the, the cycle, really. I mean, it, it can't fail to have an impact on China's GDP, at least, can it? It's, it's definitely going to have an impact. And we uh, we are all watching the news as the news ca- is coming out. The concern is the fear. And obviously, um, there's a German saying that the fear makes the wolf bigger than it is. So to what extent this virus is is killing the consumer confidence and impacting the way people act. But I think the impact is short-lived, and we've seen that in the past. The consumers worry, they change some of their habits, but 
quite quickly they go back to living their life in normal way and 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 especially if the mortality of this virus continues to be low the way it is at, at the current level. So you're taking quite a, an, an optimistic view about things. Terry, do you share that um, or are you more concerned about the, the longer term implications? I, th- I think concern is right at this stage. I wouldn't say that I'd, I'd avoid hysteria. Um, I think we need to uh, ground ourselves in the data. Um, if you look to the uh, the CDC, Centre for Disease Control, they talked about SARS taking 40 to $50 billion off of global GDP when SARS hit. So that was back in 2003. Back in 2003. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you assume that two-thirds of that was given, two-thirds of the cases were in China at that point, um, half of that effect hitting China, that would take, that took one to one and a half percent off of Chinese GDP at the time. But China is a much bigger contributor to global growth now than it was 17 years ago. So does that suggest the impact globally will, will be larger? China indeed is four times the contributor to global GDP today and obviously a, a material driver of, of the world's growth. I think also if we just marry in the anecdotal evidence we're hearing, um, both on the ground and reports that are coming out, you, China is on lockdown right now and um, you know, that can't fail to have, a, have a, an impact. Where we, I think we should take solace is to heed the medical warnings. We've got half a billion Chinese that want to be on the move at some point post the lunar holiday. So as long as they heed those, heed the advice and try to ensure that we, we manage the spread, then hopefully like SARS and MERS before it, this can be contained and actually seen more as a blip rather than a material crisis. And, and the two portfolio managers in the room, um, Charlotte and, and, and Annette, have you adjusted your, your portfolios at all as a result of, um, of the news? I think a lot of people are viewing this as, first of all, wait to know how how badly it, how bad it gets, uh, and second of all, use it as an opportunity to to buy a dip if if a dip presents itself. I think is the the kind of general feeling at the moment because markets can move very quickly in in both directions around these kind of things. And if are you buying on in, on the dip? What I did last week, um, as the news started to come out, um, I have reduced positions in quite a few companies which are exposed to China and consumption by the Chinese consumers and obviously in the in the global consumer fund I have a lot of exposure to China this has been the growth opportunity of the last decade I believe it will continue to be uh, the growth opportunity for the next decade Um, but what I have decided to do last week is there is a lot of uncertainty I am not sure how things will develop it will impact consumer confidence and I will want to buy lower uh, so again, looking for the opportunity to buy the, the the deep. Obviously, when you think about the net present value of companies which have great brands, great execution, great businesses established in China, a few weeks or even months of difficult tra- trading doesn't make any difference. Uh, but obviously, investors are also afraid and they will also trade on fear and, and I guess this is what we are seeing. Of course, it's not just a, a financial story. It's a very human tragedy. And, um, and we all hope that this epidemic is brought under control quickly. Let's move on now to this month's House View, the allocation picture as determined across all of the asset classes. And to find out where we stand, what changes have been made since the end of last year, I caught up a little bit earlier in the Fidelity cafeteria with our lead cross-asset strategist, Wenwen Lindroth. 
well, when, when, we're right at the end of January, but quite a lot has happened in the first few weeks of 2020. How's that feeding through into Fidelity's house view? What's changed? Well, uh, we had our house view meeting last week and we've made three main changes. The first is uh, because valuations went up so much between December and now, uh, we feel that certain parts of the market are priced for perfection. And so as a result, we're taking some risk off in Asian investment grade emerging markets, both government bonds and credit, and then lastly, U.S. high yield. What about equities then? Within the equity space, um, we wanted to refine our view on value, that uh, the rotation from growth into value isn't going to happen right away. Um, we've seen the momentum trade continue uh, through the beginning of this year, and so what we want to advocate is to take a more balanced approach between growth and value. Um, not to rotate wholesale quite yet. A bit more caution still on, on value. It's not the, the answer to all questions yet. Exactly. Okay. All right. And then um, finally, inflation-linked bonds. Explain what's happened there. Inflation break-evens in the U.S. had a very nice run-up at the end of last year. Um, they've come off um, in part because inflation readings have not been strong in the U.S. or in Europe. Um, so that trade hasn't worked year-to-date, but it's still very early days over the medium term the course of, over the course of 2020. We are expecting inflation to reappear uh, quite strongly in the U.S. All the ingredients are there between tight labor markets, rising wages, and ultimately the impact of higher tariffs should feed through into final prices. Then with bond yields, they've come down further over the last couple of months. What, why is that? What's going on? Well, they've ratcheted in quite strongly over the last uh, few days, and most recently that's because of the coronavirus outbreak. It's been a risk-off trade. Now, that being said, um, economic growth hasn't been impacted yet. It won't necessarily have a long-term negative impact from the coronavirus if the Chinese government steps in with stimulus, as they've alluded to. So if economic growth remains as stable as we have predicted, then we expect government bonds to range trade over the course of this year. So nothing dramatic. Okay. Now, finally, um, what are the risks as you see them? You've already mentioned the coronavirus. Um, you've also talked about inflation. Um, what else are you worried about? Yes. Um, so if 2019 was more about worries on economic growth, global growth, with uh, some geopolitics and uncertainty about central banks thrown in, um, then this year is really mostly about politics, um, in my view, both international and domestic. The risk, of course, with this fragile truce that we've got between the U.S. and China is if there's any backsliding on that, that could reintroduce high level of uncertainty into the markets. Um, the U.S. elections are heating up. The first Democratic primary is on February 3rd, and what happens there obviously is going to impact the markets, whether we have a more hard-left candidate or a more centrist candidate um, chosen as a Democratic candidate. Um, so that's, that's uh, what's on our radar for 2020. Wen Wen, thank you very much indeed for that summary. My pleasure. So those are Wen Wen's concerns. Um, Charlotte, coming back to you, I've, we've, we've heard about your worrying dreams, but um, <laughs> uh, what, what's, uh, what's perhaps keeping the multi-asset team awake at night? I think, I mean, when we look at uh, risk assets, equities in particular, and actually more specifically the, the US equity market, um, last year was all about multiple expansion off the back of easy 
um, central bank policy and this sort of flood of liquidity. And here we are at the beginning of the year and everyone's expecting a, a big global growth upswing. Uh, and so far we have had a stabilisation. But the question is, is 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 that stabilisation going to morph into a strong enough cyclical upswing such that the earnings can really support this multiple expansion? Uh, and just inevitably at, at these very high valuations, you are vulnerable to shocks. You know, no one had at the beginning of, at the end of, sorry, 2019, their biggest risk in 2020 was uh, a virus. Well, inevitably, because these shocks are not, not things that, that you, uh, you anticipate. Uh, so I think just the vulnerability of risk assets here, given the early stage of the cycle, um, is something that we're very cognizant of. So all looking a little bit fragile at the moment. Yeah, and I would also, um, to, to, to Wenwen's point as well on, on the politics, absolutely agree in the US. Um, we've, we've got an election this year and uh, um, Bernie's rising in the, uh, in, in the odds at the moment. And that would certainly be a sea change for, uh, for the US. So um, plenty of things to, to be watching. But I think in the very near term that the, uh, the fundamentals... It's a bit raisier. But what about inflation though, Terry? Let me come to you because um, Wenwen is concerned about it. She was saying that some of the ingredients that you'd expect that would lead to inflation are beginning to appear. And yet, um, we're about to release the um, the Fidelity Analyst Survey, a survey, as it was suggested, of all, all our um, analysts in equities and uh, fixed income. And they're telling us that the companies that they cover are not particularly concerned about inflation. So why is that? What's the, what's the discrepancy? Companies are not uh, investing or not seeing a material change in their investment profiles. I think they're being cautious on that approach. And while they do see some wage pressures, they those are not running away from themselves at this point in time. So I think there is a reasonable lid on inflation. If we look at core CPI rates around the world, they're all uh, at or you know around target, a bit below target in some places. And actually on, on the US labour market, what's interesting in the last um, month or so is that actually average hourly earnings have started to fall, hours worked have started to fall. And you're seeing some interesting um, data points, survey points that are indicating that the job market isn't quite as healthy as everyone um, is saying. So yes, unemployment is at record lows. But if you look at things like job openings, those have started to roll over too. So um, I think at, at this point, just looking at this data set, it's hard to um, argue for a kind of domestic induced inflation. And if we if we look at the big picture, Anessa, because I mean, you also take a, a view on demographics and the the secular trends that that play out over decades. I imagine that you're less concerned again taking the the bigger picture. If we're moving away from the monthly cycle of um, of data that, uh, that 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 we digest, how are you looking at inflation? One of the funds I manage is the Global Demographics Fund, and there we take a very long term view. And when it comes to inflation, there are three drivers, very long-term drivers, demographics, debt, and digitalization. And all of them are very deflationary. So while we are going to see cycles driven by short-term measures, uh, commodity moves, geopolitical events, long-term, I think we are in a deflationary environment. So the, the long-term forces are they in place and they will play out. But obviously the risk is the loss of confi- confidence in fiat money. Uh, and, and then obviously all bets are off. Uh, so, so great. You were, you were putting my mind at rest um, about inflation. But now you've given me a new worry for my sleepless nights, a loss of confidence in, in, in fiat um, uh, money. But let's, let's move on. We're going to take a little bit of a closer view now on the macroeconomics 
um, with a shorter uh, horizon. Uh, here's portfolio manager Ian Sampson speaking this month to our Asia editor Neil Goff in Hong Kong. So, Ian, here we are sitting in Fidelity's Hong Kong office on the eve of the year of the rat. And as we all know, rats, according to the Chinese zodiac, are clever, quick, and energetic uh, by personality, but they're also thrifty and they're light-saving. I wonder, as you look into the most recent kind of proprietary economic readings, uh, whether or not that jives with uh, your outlook and what the uh, gauges are telling you. Well, we're actually also on the eve of Burns Night, um, a celebration in my native Scotland where um, you eat too much haggis and drink too much whiskey and end up very, very sluggish. So that could also be a, a harbinger of the year ahead, but not necessarily what our fidelity leading indicator, uh, the fly, is pointing to. So it's still in, if we look at the cycle tracker, the top right, which means growth uh, heading above trend and accelerating over the next three to six months. But what is notable in the past couple of readings is that we've started to tick down towards the, the zero acceleration line. So while growth is still considerably better than it was for or, or where it was looking like it was going um, for much of last year, we seem to be reaching a bit of a plateau. And we seem to be reaching a plateau only about half as high as, as the previous big cyclical growth upswings that we saw kind of 2012-13 uh, and again 2016-17. We're a bit more limited by the fact that there's not much spare capacity left in labour markets, by the fact that China is being quite restrained, it is easing but, but less so than before, and simply uh, there, there's a lack of tailwinds. What we're seeing more is that the headwinds have been hitting many key industries such as, as the auto industry, the tech industry, um, are, are merely dissipating rather than being a real fresh impetus. And in terms of kind of bright spots, where, is, where are you seeing those uh, when you drill down into the subsectors a little bit? So the business surveys, uh, so things like PMIs, look to be bottoming out, particularly outside the US. And given how important these are for, for markets and how closely watched they are, um, that's definitely an area of optimism. Also, global trade, which has had a, a choppy year, really does look to be past the worst. So we're seeing pick up sort of in, in areas like semiconductors at the very margin. Uh, maybe the worst is behind in, in autos and, and petrochemicals. Um, and that's well, it's not um, off to the races by any means. It's definitely showing some green shoots. And then I mean, kind of more cautiously, areas for concern? So, so the area that actually caught my eye most this month was industrial orders. Now normally that follows business surveys pretty closely. Um, this is a hard date on, on things like durable goods and, and capex. And that's going in exactly the opposite direction. That's far in the bottom left. The real negative driver this month has been Japan. And so I always like to think, is this kind of an idiosyncratic story or is it a broader harbinger of things to come? And in Japan, not only have you had uh, the VAT, the consumer tax hike that's, that's been hurting domestic activity, we of course had um, the catastrophic typhoon just a couple of months back that took a lot of capacity offline, particularly in some, some auto plants. So I actually think perhaps you could get a bit of a bounce back there in, in coming months, and that's definitely something uh, that I'll be watching for.
Right, Aneta, um, Japan's data has gone off a cliff. Could we see a bounce back, though, once the impact of this consumer tax settles? We're going to see a bit of a bounce back, but um, there is obviously an issue with the inbound travelers from China that are not going to be arriving anytime soon. And they have been quite a big contributor to consumer spending inside of Japan. Obviously, the tax hide has caused a lot of the Japanese consumers bring forward their spending. The Japanese consumer getting older is very price sensitive to the extent that people stock up on toilet paper when they know the price is going up by a yen. Um, so obviously that has happened and that will come back once they run out of this toilet paper. Uh, but but the fact that the Chinese are not going to be shopping in Japan will continue to have a negative impact on consumer spending in Japan. Okay, so we need to see domestic supplies or domestic inventories of um, of toilet paper to, uh, to, to measure when that return of confidence arrives or the return of spending at least. Now, Ian referred to a plateauing of the data. So we'll perhaps see a good first half of the year, but it's a bit unclear clear in the, in the second half. And in the allocation meeting, there was talk of this being finally the last leg of the, uh, the cycle. Um, Terry, do you think this is the, the last leg? Groundhog Day, really, isn't it? Um, I think the amplitudes of the moves within this extended cycle are smaller and smaller. I think central banks are doing everything they can to stop it being the end of the cycle. But I think the reality is that we are getting much, much closer. Ever closer to the edge, Charlotte? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. More and more central banks are are getting towards or at the lower bound. They've got less firepower. Um, Fiscal stimulus is is certainly being talked about, but but we're not yet seeing it in large scale. Of course, that that is a possibility. Calling the end of the cycle is is inherently difficult, but um, but absolutely agree that the the economic cycle gets more and more muted. Um, Asset prices don't seem to to be quite so worried. We're decoupling. (laughs) And of course, we're speaking um, the morning after the Fed met. Uh, Was there anything in the comments um, from there that gave you any indication that they're going to change the status quo? No, I mean, my my take on the Fed is that they're biased towards being very sensitive to the downside on the data. So what I mean by that is that the, they're more likely to cut and ease policy than they are to hike. And they've also got this inflation review going on. So they're becoming much more explicit about saying, you know, we, we want to overshoot 2%. So they're, they're really anchoring themselves on, on that new new framework. We get more formal details about that in the middle of the year. But but I actually think that argues for them cutting rates again, because from a credibility perspective, it's very hard to say we're going from even higher inflation without then actually acting to do that. Just speaking with an equities hat on, obviously, low interest rates do theoretically and practically give some support to the uh, the multiples that we see companies being uh, bid at. But I think we're getting further and further down the line towards it being flows that are determining which um, asset classes and which within equities, which names are doing well, rather than true fundamentals underpinning improvements in performance. And Anetta, um, earlier Terry was talking about the manufacturing recession. Consumers, of course, have had a pretty good run, um, particularly in the States, helping the economy tick along. Do you see that continuing? Well, if interest rates stay low and keep coming down, I think there's quite a good chance that we might see um, the kind of pickup in the US economy driven by the housing market. There is quite a big pent-up demand. A lot of millennials have stayed with their parents for much longer than they would have uh, had they more confidence to move on with their lives and get married and have children. Um, So there's there's a good chance that as the interest rates stay low and maybe there's another fiscal stimulus, 
we might get the kind of old school recovery in the US driven by the by the housing market. And when you look at some of the early cyclicals, it's funny we are talking about late cycle, but when you look at early cyclicals, the house builders uh, in the US, they have been going up already in expectation that that market will be picking up. And that could be quite important in terms of actually making this cycle last longer than people think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's from the US data perspective, it's the one place where policy has had an effect is in housing. So rates go down, mortgage rates go down, um, housing market recovers. And we've seen that play out elsewhere, not so much. Um, so, you know, if we look at some of the business confidence indicators, they sort of very soft. Um, you know, the manufacturing sector is still in a um, difficult place. Uh, and in, in terms of the consumer, you know, you tend to find the consumer does pretty well, particularly while the labour market is strong. So there's that kind of connection between businesses and, and the manufacturing, which is the more kind of cyclical element of the con- economy, how that feeds into the labour market, which which then probably impacts the consumer. And I, I think that's probably the way to, to kind of think about it. It is now uh, opportunity to play hot cakes and hot potatoes. What would you buy like a hot cake? What would you drop like a hot potato? Charlotte, let me come to you first. What's your hot cake? Um, I am going to say, and actually I will say that everything looks very overvalued at the moment. So finding something to buy is is, is not that easy. Um, I'm going to say gold because it is supported by... Safe. It is safe. It's supported by any kind of risk off and it, and it will be supported by... Fed cuts, if if I'm right, that, that they happen this year. And your hot potato? I'm going to say the US healthcare sector because it was very under-owned for quite a bit of last year. Then then it sort of flipped the other way. Everyone everyone loved it because they've sort of priced out um, Warren's and, and her kind of change in, in terms of Medicare for all. Um, but now Bernie's rising in the polls and I think it could be quite an interesting trade over the next few months. Um, well, Aneta, I've got to come to you on that then. Um, what are your hot cakes, first of all? Um, I think anything to do with hygiene. We're just talking about the queue of people washing hands. I think we are going to be... In reaction to the virus more, news. Yes, yeah. much more aware of the need to, to wash hands. Buy soap. Buy soap. And your hot potato? <laughs> well, hot potato, again, let's come back to the virus. Um, I think anyone mentioning uh, the idea that they, they might have a vaccine results in the stock uh, doubling, especially when you look at, at smaller uh, smaller biotech companies. So obviously, someone will, someone will, but a lot of them will not end up uh, having the solution. So there are some hot potatoes there. I just don't know which one. <laughs> no, absolutely. And Terry, finally, um, your hot cakes. So coronavirus uh, and the uh, data point out of the fly notwithstanding relating to the uh, VAT hike and the typhoon in Japan, I'd actually actually say Japanese equities very selectively. And the thinking behind that is that the uh, the demographic trends are well known and, and I would say well priced. What is less well priced is uh, Japanese corporates actually becoming much more shareholder friendly. We're starting to see activism uh, rise up the agenda. And for once, we may actually see some of those cross holdings unwind and you know, a real capitalist spirit come to the fore in Japan. New so I'd say invigoration of the Japanese economy. With fingers crossed. And your hot potato. Hot potato would be the US insurance and specifically those uh, insurers that are geared into uh, rising social claims inflation. I think they have started to, to raise this issue uh, in their results, but uh, there is still more to come on that front, I would say. Lovely. Okay. Well, thank you very much indeed. And that brings us to the end of this month's show. Uh, my thanks to my guests, Annetta, Charlotte and Terry. And thanks to 
to our other contributors, Wenwen and Ian, and the producer was Seb morton Clark. If you like what you've heard, then please subscribe and rate us on your podcast app. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.